You're listening to the Forefront Church podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. What's the story that you tell yourself when you are by yourself? What story do you tell yourself when you're by yourself? You know what I'm talking about? It's the one you tell, it's about you. It's the story you're telling about yourself, and it happens on the subway when you're zoned out or when you're walking down the street, or for me, you'll be at work and somebody will be talking to you and all of a sudden you just zone out and start telling your own story. You guys do this? I'm the only one that does this. This is terrible. (laughs) Whatever. Um, But what is it? What's that story? You know, when I first took this job two and a half years ago, I sat down with somebody who has now become a really, really good friend of mine, but I didn't know him at the time. And um, he goes, hey, I just want you to know that I could do this job twice as well as you can. And I was like, wow. Wow, thanks, man. And then I was like, do you really believe that, though? Is that what you really tell yourself? You really think that's true? And he goes, when I'm by myself, I tell myself that I am the most talented person in this city, and I believe it. (laughs) How many people agree with that guy or tell yourselves those things? I think he's the only one. I really think he's the only one. Um, More often, it goes like this. I was talking to somebody in our community last week. And they said to me, they said, you know what I feel like? Uh, the story that I tell myself when I'm by myself is that I'm disobedient. I'm a disobedient person. And whatever people want me to do, I do the opposite of what they want. And so uh, really what I am is just this rebellious child. That's really what I am. That's the story they tell themselves when they're by themselves. Somebody else told me last week as well. They said, you know what I feel like? I feel like I'm a liar uh, that's what, what I tell myself. I feel like I'm deceiving everybody. And so when I'm at bed, in bed at night telling that story, uh, I just, I, I pray for the courage to actually come clean and just tell the truth that, I, that I'm lying to people all the time. I was like, man, I'll tell you mine. And it's painful, but I think I'm gonna tell you because I think you guys feel the same way sometimes. <laughs> like right before I fall asleep at night, I, I'm like, I'm a fraud. I'm going to be found out. I'm a fraud. You guys ever feel this way? Thank God some of you are nodding yes. It's a little risky. This is the way I feel. The story that I tell myself when I am by myself. What story do you tell yourself when you're by yourself? What story? Sometimes these stories, uh, they, they come about or they happen because of our circumstances. Our circumstances create our stories for us. We have these terrible things that happen. And we live in New York in 2015 and life is good. So I'm not talking about like, oh, I didn't get my D'Angelo tickets to the Apollo or like... I had to move. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. We all have to move. We move like every two weeks, all right? This is just the way life is. I'm talking about the deep stuff, the real struggles, right? Like, like I've been oppressed my entire life, and so my story is that I'm a second-class citizen. I've been abused. My story is that I'm a victim. That's the story I tell myself when I'm by myself. I have an addiction, and so that's all I'll ever be is just this addict. That's it. I'm an addict. That's the story that I tell myself. That's it. I don't believe in God. I'm faking it. And so the story I tell myself is that that I'm a faker. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I don't believe in God. What story do you tell yourself when you are by yourself? Do you have your story? You have it? I got mine. I got mine. It goes beyond just the fraud stuff. Spoiler alert. Um, So here we are celebrating the Christian calendar. And... uh, Sometimes we think of the Christian calendar as this really boring thing. When I think of the Christian calendar, sometimes I picture like, uh, you know, robes and high church and people asleep in pews and all the rest. Um, but the Christian calendar, I believe, 
um, and I believe this wholeheartedly, it's the reason that we use it at this church, is because I believe that the calendar shows us what it means to be fully human. And I think it, it shows us what it means to be fully human in Christ. Okay, and so we celebrate things like Advent, and we just finished Epiphany, where we get to you know talk about the light, and we hear God's voice in different ways. And then we show up today, and Ben and, you know, and Lindsay are up here, and it's wonderful, but it's like all quiet and like a little dark. And, like, Jen gets up, and she's, like, a little less, like, buoyant than she normally is. And, like, this is all on purpose. It's because we're going through Lent. And Lent is the time where we get to fully confront the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Lent is the time where we get to go into those dark places. It's where we get to be human in the dark and scary areas and the anxious areas of our lives. That's what Lent is all about. So Lent is the time where we confront our dark stories But the good news is we don't stay there. The good news is that Lent is where we confront our dark stories, but we move forward into stories of redemption and resurrection and reconciliation. So what we're going to do today is this. We are going to talk about, we are going to confront the dark stories we tell ourselves about ourselves That's what we're going to start with today. And we're going to do this by looking at the book of Ruth. And Jen explained a lot about the book of Ruth before. Uh, I think it's the most amazing book about about like dealing with your lot in life and dealing with your circumstances and confronting it and then moving on to this place of like incredible light and incredible redemption and like a new story. It's absolutely amazing. And so I want to go through this book together. We're going to go through this book together in the next five weeks. But before we do that, I want to remind us all of something, okay? I want to remind us that we live in America in 2015, okay? That's what I want to remind us. Our tendency is to want to read this scripture with Western eyes, with eyes that that are here in America. And I've said this before. We've had guest speakers say this before. Um, People who were, uh, you know, in Bible times, they didn't know they were living in Bible times, right? We got to remind ourselves of that sometimes, okay? They didn't know. Ruth and Naomi were not like, okay, we're going to be really dramatic in the first chapter. That way people in America in 2015 can love Jesus more. They weren't doing that. They were just simply living life and living out their context to the best of their ability. And so I want us to to inhabit this story, okay? And by inhabiting this story, it means that we're going to go 3,000 years away. And we're going to go to an oppressive Middle East where we're going to see things that might not seem fair to us now or might seem outrageous, but were realities in those days, okay? So let's do this. Let's read together. Take out your Bible app, and you can scroll through Ruth as I read. I'm going to read different parts of it. You can read the whole first chapter if you like. Um, just no Candy Crush. Don't invite me to Candy Crush while you're at it. <laughs> All right. So, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live in a country in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They are Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. This is, okay, so this is like, a, it seems like a pretty monotonous, kind of boring piece of scripture. This is an action-packed passage right here. I'm telling you, it is action-packed. In the days the judges ruled, there was a famine. Let's talk about that for a second. What would happen when the judges ruled? This was basically, for all intents and purposes, it was a time of anarchy in Israel. That's what it was. People were ruled um, by uh, warlords, 
That's, that's, that's really the way it went down. There was no government. There was no king. It was, it was uh, your little section of town was ruled by some person and somebody else's section was ruled by another person. That was the time of the judges. So the only way I can really equate this is how many people know of modern-day Somalia? Do we know modern-day Somalia? I think a few of us do. So same thing. It's an anarchy. It's run by warlords. And, and there's no stability whatsoever. So, you know, we've seen movies like Captain Phillips before where everybody turns to piracy, it feels like, Right? The reason that's happening in modern-day Somalia, they're turning to piracy not because they want to be criminals or they're evil. It's because they have nothing. There's no stability. And so in order to survive and feed themselves, they become pirates. This is what's going on in Israel at the time. Time of judges was this kind of chaotic period. It was a time where, where there was no help from anybody. There was no support. There's no 401k. There are no food stamps. There's no public assistance of any kind. This is a tea partier's dream without the entitlement. That's what this is. Okay? So this is what's going on right now. And they go and they live in the land of Moab. They say, okay, well, we need to leave. Well, the only people who could leave were rich people. Rich people had the means to live. So we know that Naomi and her family are incredibly wealthy. We know that because otherwise they would have stayed and died. Now what about Moab? Moab is the equivalent of becoming a pirate. It's that evil to move to Moab. It's that evil. Um, bookmark this. Numbers chapter 22 and read it later. It's really long right now. But in Numbers chapter 22, Israel is wandering the desert. And Moab is really afraid of Israel. And so they're like, what should we do? And this guy Balaam says, I got an idea. Let's have our, the Israelite men uh, have sex with all the Moab, Moabite women. And they go, great, that's what we'll do. And it'll neutralize Israel. And so all these men have sex with all the women. And God gets angry. 24,000 people die. There are public educa- uh, executions of every man and woman who have mixed between Moabite and, and Israelites that like rival any evil that we've seen today. And then Moab gets a curse of 10 generations placed upon it. Okay, so that's Moab. That's where they're going. It's a cursed land. It's the land of the enemies. We find all this out in chapters one and two. And you guys say the Bible's boring. That's what you say. So that's what's going on. So they go to this land. And you got to wonder, right? What is the story that this family tells themselves about themselves? You've gone from prosperity to a cursed land. What's the story that they tell themselves about themselves? Now it gets worse because Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. She's left with two sons and they married Moabite women. Their names were Orpah and Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years and both Malan and Kilian also died and Naomi was left with her two sons or without her two sons and her husband. Okay, so there have been plenty of people here who have felt the sting of death. There are plenty of us here who have had family members pass away and die or friends pass away and die, and it is devastating. It is absolutely devastating. And I'm sure it was devastating for Naomi and for Ruth and for this other daughter-in-law, Orpah. I'm sure it was devastating for them. But again, we have to put ourselves in context. I just said that there's no assistance of any kind. There is no help of any kind. There's no government of any kind, not even a Moab. All right, so right now... You are literally stuck. And what we have to understand about women during this time is women were completely and utterly oppressed. The only way that you had any kind of security as a woman is by getting married. That's it. There was no other chance for security. The only way that you had any financial stability was by getting married. That was it. There was no other way. 
There was nothing you could do outside of getting married. There was no choice in who you were going to marry. There was never any conversations between Israelite women at this time like, oh, well, he's an engineer, but now he wants to be a pastry chef, and I don't know if I can be with somebody like that. And plus he grew an ugly mustache. You know, like, there wasn't any of that. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be with him anymore. Like, that didn't happen. It was, it was, you're going to marry this person, and it's a financial transaction, and that keeps you safe from death. That's what was going on. You know what widow translates into in the Hebrew? It literally translates into person who is helpless and voiceless. That's what it literally translates to. Person who is helpless and voiceless. So they die and they literally become people who are helpless and voiceless. That's who they become. And so this is the tension in which they live. They now have three options. Option number one, beg. Become a prostitute. Die. Those are now their options. This is the, the story that they inhabit. This is the story that, that we have to inhabit. This is the place we have to go. What story do you think they're telling themselves about themselves? What do you think it sounds like? What is it? And so Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, you should stay here in Moab. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem where I'm from, but I'm old. I'll go ahead and beg, and I'm going to die soon, and that'll be fine. But, but you have a chance. You have a, a shot to get married again. And, and you should at least go for that chance. Go for that shot. Stay here in Moab, okay? If you come back to Bethlehem, you're going to be considered enemies. You're going to be considered cursed. People are going to look at you and go, why are you here? At least here in Moab, you have a chance. So stay. And so it's, it's with this, this great sorrow, right? When you read through the text, when you read through scripture, it's with great sorrow that Orpah says, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay and I'm going to take my chances here in Moab. That's what I'm going to do. But then Ruth has this different answer. This is what Ruth says. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Naomi and Ruth, they head back to this, this land, this Bethlehem, right? And it's been about 15 years or so before, since uh, Naomi's been there. And so she comes, and Scripture says that people were stirred. They're like, oh my gosh, Naomi, is that you? Now remember, Naomi used to be rich. Naomi, where's your clothes? Like, why are you wearing these clothes? Like, Naomi, like, where's your family? Where's your husband? Where are your sons? Like, where's all your livestock? Where's all the stuff that you left with? What happened to all of that? And why are you with this Moabite woman, right? Why are you with this woman who, who's cursed? Why are you with this woman who's the enemy? Why, why are you hanging out with her? And then we get like the most powerful part of chapter one. Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi. The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune on me. So Naomi, in Hebrew, means pleasant. So this woman was called pleasant. Mara, in the Hebrew, means bitter. So she's saying, don't call me pleasant. Stop calling me pleasant. Call me bitter. What story do you tell yourself when you're by yourself? What story is Naomi telling herself? It's the story that says, I had it all, and I lost it. 
It's a story that says, uh, I used to be pleasant and now I'm bitter. It's a story that says, uh, I had a voice and now I'm voiceless. And I had help and now I'm helpless. And, and she's confronted with this dark story. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Call me bitter. You know, there, uh, there's a lot of commentary on, on this passage. And a lot of Bible studies that I've been to that talk about this, this passage, and I, I think most of the time these Bible studies say something to the effect of like, well, look, you know, uh, Ruth has a ton of faith, and she has faith to go with Naomi, and Naomi doesn't have faith because she's bitter. I've heard that before. And then I, I read a commentary that said, you know, these are just two women who are showing, like, the line of Jesus and the way Jesus will happen later on, and I don't quite understand it. And then there's other things that, that have been said, but I wonder... I wonder during this Lent season if Naomi's just giving us all permission to be human. Like, I wonder if she's just giving us permission to name the story that we tell ourselves when we're by ourselves. I wonder if she's giving us permission to confront our dark stories. What's your dark story? What do you tell yourself? What's your Mara? Name your Mara. I'm a fraud. Call me fraud. Call me disobedient. Call me a victim. Call me a liar. Call me a terrible parent. Call me an awful spouse. Call me a doubter. Call me an addict. What is your Mara? What's your Mara? And then the beauty is this. The beauty is that there's a God. We have this God who, who hears Naomi, right? And says, and says, your end is not your dark story. Your end is not your dark story. This God says, you know, uh, I was here and I'm here. I'm, this is my sweet spot. Like this is, I'm a magnet to this kind of stuff. And this God goes to this sweet spot. And this God says, this is why I came as Jesus Christ uh, for this time, for Mara. I came for this. And this is why I, I have this death and this resurrection. It's because of this Mara. I'm here to tell you that this thing, this Mara that you have, this, uh, um, this thing you tell yourself on the subway or before you go to sleep or this Mara that you have when like you're zoning out and people are trying to talk to you, this thing you believe, this anxiety, this doubt, this is not your identity. This is not who you are. This does not define you. Your Mara does not define you. And so in this Lenten season, if we're confronted with our dark story, we learn from Naomi that our dark story does not define us. We confront our dark story so we can move on and write stories of light and redemption and reconciliation. What's your Mara? Your Mara does not define you. Your Mara is the beginning it's where you identify it and know that there is a God who says you are not defined by that. And then you move on and we begin writing new stories of reconciliation. <clears throat> you know, this Lent season, I think there's so many of us who are, like, uh, who are like, you know, I need to give something up. And that's a good thing. I think it's this discipline that we have, right? Lent's a time of denial. And so we stop, you know, drinking and we stop drinking and we stop. I, I totally forgot all the rest. We just stop drinking, everybody. Just stop drinking. <laughs> Um, but we stop different things. We, we, we create new disciplines, right? We deny ourselves so that we can gain something. And here's what I want us to do. If you need to do that this Lent season, I think that's a great thing. I want us to name our Mara. I want us to name our pain. I want us to confess our pain. And I want to start today by saying that that pain does not define us. That's all we have to do today. Let's start there. I have a friend um, who about two months before he got married, he, uh, he, got, he, got, he, broke, his girlfriend broke up with him, his fiance broke up with him. 
And he was a mess, like just devastated. And, uh, and I called him a couple of times. I'm like, are you okay? And he was like, I'm not okay. That's like, that's alarming. That's concerning. And then he called me a couple of weeks later and he said, hey man, uh, I'm actually going to sail a boat from Maine to the Bahamas. And I was like, hey, I was like, listen, you cannot run from this. You can't run from your pain. And he goes, I'm not running from my pain. I'm just not letting my pain dictate the way I live my life. That's what I'm doing. That's what we're doing. We're confronting our Mara today. So what's gonna happen is this. We're gonna uh, have this time of communion, this time of Eucharist. And the ushers are gonna come up after I pray and there's gonna be um, bread and juice. And um, you're gonna dip the bread into the juice and they're gonna say body of Christ broken for you and blood of Christ shed for you. And before that happens, I invite you just to sit for a minute. I invite you to sit and confess your Mara. Sit and confess it. What is that thing, the story you tell yourself when you're by yourself? And as you come up, And as you dip the bread and the juice, I want you to remember that this is a gift. This is a God who says, this is my sweet spot. And it's through this gift, through this death and this resurrection that I can tell you that you are not defined by this pain. This is just the beginning. You will go on to write stories of light and redemption and reconciliation and resurrection. You will go on to say, you know what? I go with you. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I die. Where you're buried, I will be buried. This is not over. The light has just begun. What is your Mara? What's your pain? That does not define you. Let's write our new stories of resurrection. (sighs) Heavenly Father, Uh, you know, right now we're all going through something, whatever it might be. Uh, sometimes it's really small, just these little pings of doubt or pings of anxiety. Sometimes it's really big and we feel like we can't get out of bed. And God, we are so grateful for your death, for your resurrection, for your cross that, that um, you take us and you move us beyond it and you move us past it. Um, that you take us into new places, um, to be creative in new ways and to try new things and to live new lives in you. And so God, um, when we fall down, because we will fall down, just get us back up. Help us to take steps. We pray this in your name. Amen.